Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles and still computerless, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And in Nashville, using his teacher voice, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, boys? Uh, I'm recording my first ever show from the Blue Devil News TV studio and uh, editing room and uh, sound booth all mixed in one. So this is going to be actually pretty interesting deal for me so excited to uh, excited to get underway lots of great stuff to talk about um and uh lots of good uh fun to have all right coach well we'd be remiss if we didn't introduce the third amigo in the second city a man who is very excited about the premiere of the grand tour next week it's our intrepid blogger from big ten and counting josh cook you know you say that like i'm the only one but i know i know you're excited too the the original Three amigos of the Top Gear gang are back. The new, I am, the new Top Gear, not the old 70s Top Gear. Yeah, I am. I, I, I could not be any more excited about it. So uh, they're going to they're gonna cut the worst segments from the old show, No More Star in a Reasonably Priced Car, um, hopefully more cheap car challenges, um, some great road tests, and it should lo- looks like it's going to be a wild ride. There's billboards all over Los Angeles uh, for the show. You know, And Amazon has done some pretty good things with a lot of their – um, original programming, so I I have very very high hopes. But uh, another place that has uh, that another was, place that was nice at Amazon to start to uh, promote our show. I know <laughs> so, uh, that, that that might be really helpful for us. But um, let's uh, before we get into our usual quick slants this week, uh, we just had one piece of news that crossed the wire yesterday, and uh, so I just want to you know throw it around the circle real quick to talk about the news of Fresno State hiring former Cal coach Jeff Tedford as their new man in charge. Uh, Josh, I know you really like that move for the Bulldogs, bringing in an alum with a great offensive mind. Yeah, you know, you look at how the Tedford era ended. Um, he had that incredible run from 03 to 09 where they're in a bowl game. Every year they won, you know, Ted games, eight games, nine games. You know, they had some really nice finishes. They finished top 10 in 04. Um, and his last three years there, 2010, five and seven, 2011 made a bowl game. 2012, three and nine, it wasn't one of those like extended Cal fell off totally. They were still pretty competitive, made that bowl game in 2011, but they remodeled their stadium and ticket sales were kind of going down because they felt like they'd seen the best of the Tedford era. There, there wasn't quite as much excitement. And so I think he lost his job more because of politics. I mean, this is the guy who's the all-time winningest coach in Cal Bear history. Uh, I don't think the game passed him by in the last four years. If anything, more and more teams are doing his offense. So uh, I think it's a great, great opportunity for both Coach Tedford to get back at the game and Fresno State to get back to where they were uh, with Pat Hill. And coach, you think that uh, you know Fresno State? I think at least could be a sleeping, uh, a, a, not sleeping giant, but a a, a sleeping titan maybe because 
they are in obviously a very uh, recruiting rich state of California. And if they're going to, you know, spread the ball around and throw it out, they're definitely going to be able to get some athletes that are passed over by the USC's and UCLA's of the world. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you know, California, Florida, Georgia, and Texas um, are the foremost rich recruiting areas in the, in the country. And, you know, to be a cast off of all the, big schools in California is not a big, is not a bad thing because there's going to be 200 prospects that can, that can play ball in the state of California. Now Fresno state will have to fend off some of the outside schools, maybe get some of the partial qualifiers, you know, maybe just recruit their area really hard. I mean, central California, the Fresno area, the Bay area is actually really good. The San Jose area, all that. Uh, is actually a really good area for, for high school. It's a really good pocket for high school football in the state of California. Um, you know, you have your Southern California pocket, then you have that pocket right there. And then uh, you have, you know, good schools sprinkled and littered throughout the state. But those are really good pockets right there. And if Fresno can do well in those pockets, I think they could compete in the Mountain West. And there's plenty of talent to go around. You just got to have the right guy to come in and, and recruit. And I think Jeff, Tedford knows the area because he's been at Berkeley and he knows how to recruit the state of California. He has a lot of connections there. Um, you know, and I think he's the right guy for the job. Not only do I think he's extremely knowledgeable I and mean, he's been in the NFL for, for, uh, since he got fired from, from, uh, Cal and, you know, he's been consulting with, uh, with Chris Peterson up at Washington this year. And, you know, he, he's never had problem finding work. Um, so he's very, you know, he's very marketable. He, I think he just kind of, like you said, he fell to, to politics and he didn't really want to play the politic game at Cal Berkeley. And that's a difficult thing to do. So at Fresno State, if you can win there, those fans will love you forever. And it's not, it's not a hard place to win. Pat Hill did it for a long time. Um, it's, not a, it's not a bad place to be. The, the fans will support you. The resources are there. You just got to have the right guy. And I think Jeff Tefford is more than definitely the right guy. Yeah, Josh, you and I were talking off wax yesterday about how you think that Tedford should try to bring in Pat Hill, at least as some sort of like either consultant or something like that. Yeah, I think that would be a great way to, to soothe some of the, the wounds that are really, really still raw. I mean, Pat Hill had that incredible run um, in 99 to 2005 where they're a bowl game every year. Uh, they were a top the first, you know, first, second, or third every year um, in the the WAC finished the season ranked one year, and this is when the WAC was really bad. Like there was no national prestige for the WAC, so to finish twenty second was really, really good. And then you know missed a bowl game in two thousand six, but 07 on picked it right back up again, four straight bowl games. Um, they were pretty competitive in the WAC again, and this was after Boise had joined and, and the conference just had a higher profile. And then 2011 didn't make a bowl game and was out. And, um, you know, he uh, – I can't remember exactly how it ended. I think he might have resigned, but it was kind of a forced out resignation situation. But – from 97 to 2011, three or uh, four seasons, he didn't make a bowl game. I mean, that's an incredible run at Fresno, 112 and 80. Um, you know, I, I know 
I know looking at some of his uh, his bio, I know he's on the local ESPN radio station, so maybe he's brought been brought back into the Fresno family a little bit, but that seems like a really good coaching mind to just be sitting out there for, for Tedford to not, you know, pick his brain about at least. Yeah. Hey, Pat Hill's an offensive line guru, and, he, you know, he didn't just forget how to coach all of a sudden. I know he's had his – his issues, and he, he, he had a stint with the Atlanta Falcons for a while. Um, and then, you know, like any coach in the NFL, your message just gets stale uh, with those guys when they make more money than you. They quit listening to you past a certain point. Um, so I, I think that Pat Hill, you know, as a head coach, I think it kind of got away from him a little bit, which is okay. You know, not everybody's cut out to be a head coach, but, you know, I thought he did a tremendous job while he was there. But, I mean, his specialty is, is offensive line, hands down. And I, I think that Jeff Tedford would be best served, especially someone who knows the Fresno State community as well as Pat Hill does, to bring in Pat Hill as your offensive line coach. And I think that solves – I think that helps you transition in. I think that solves a lot of your issues. I think that helps tremendously with recruiting uh, because he not only knows how to recruit that Central California area, he knows how to recruit specifically for Fresno State. He's the one that got uh, the, the Carr brothers there. And uh, he's the one that – you know, all the talent that's in the NFL currently from Fresno State, they were Pat Hill guys. So he knows how to find those guys and develop them, and I think he'd be a great hire. I think that's the first call I make if I'm Jeff Tedford is Pat Hill. Yeah, and, you know, well, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talked about just a little bit sort of to put a bow on it is that there are so many California high school kids that are going to Boise State, Colorado State, Utah State, um, Wyoming, you know, uh, to these schools that Fresno absolutely can be can compete with, so I, I see no reason they can't keep some of those guys home, and you know really you know start making a, a big difference in about in about two years down the road. So, um, well, we got to keep moving on because we have so much to get to. Uh, but let's do a round of quick slants uh, before we can get into uh, our deep roots for later. So we will start, Josh, with you, and I know you are ex- you have one of your favorite matchups of the year this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to the Sun Belt for an incredible game. It's at 2.30 Central. I already looked. There's not a whole lot on during the day, so unless your alma mater's playing, I strongly suggest heading on down to the uh, ESPN3, bring up your tablet, bring up your computer to check out this game. It's Appalachian State at Troy. It uh, is a big, big factor in determining the Sun Belt champion. Uh, Troy is 7-1, 4-0 in conference. Their one loss was by six points in Death Valley against Clemson. They acquitted themselves so well there. They've been on fire since. They, um, they've scored 145 points in conference play and have given up just 61. And they have a really, really fun quarterback to watch, Brandon Silver's. Uh, This kid was really, really good a year ago, but the team around him just wasn't there as they had a disappointing 4-8 and season. That's why this year has been so stunning to watch the Trojans improve this mightily. And then Appalachian State, they are, of course, 7-2, and 5-0 in conference. Uh, One of their losses was that nail-biter to Tennessee, and they get it done with just some crippling, crippling defense. They're 10th in the country in defense, and 
I gave the Trojans split for points for and points against in conference games. Well, Appalachian State is even better, 147-4, and just 42 points allowed in five conference games. It's incredible. This game went to triple overtime a year ago, and now Troy's a lot better than they were a season ago. That is very, very exciting. And to keep in the Sun Belt, I actually saw this uh, last night. Georgia State bought the, uh, the old Turner Field location. Uh, it's about a mile away from their downtown campus. And this was really exciting to me because I've always thought that the, the two Georgia schools, Georgia Southern and Georgia State, um, had great potential. That's a, that's a state that produces a lot of talent, unlike Florida International and Florida Atlantic. Uh, they're in locations where there are bona fide football fans. And I don't know if I'm reaching, so I wanted to ask Coach because he, he's from the Georgia area and knows a lot more about that state than I do. Coach, do you think that Georgia Southern and Georgia State in 10, 20 years could maybe be like the South Florida, Central Florida situation where they're in a, a high group of five conference, whatever the American eventually becomes or, or something like that? Is that a reach? No, it's not a reach at all. I mean, I think it's, I think you're shortchanging a little bit. I think with the Atlanta area especially, I think Georgia State has probably the highest ceiling because of how much talent is in and around that Atlanta area. Um, and if Georgia State, um, as they grow, as they continue to build their budget, they will be able to recruit Atlanta a lot better. And they could not go outside the uh, they could not go outside the metro Atlanta area. And I'm really just focusing on Cobb County and uh, Gwinnett County, they could really just stay in those two counties um, to the northeast and to the northwest of the city and and get their entire signing class from there and compete in the American Athletic Conference. I mean, you have, I think it's up to 28 high schools in Gwinnett County, and I think it's about 25, um, about 25 in Cobb um, with my unofficial calculations. Um, then you have all, you know, your whole metro area, and Atlanta is such a huge market that you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the ACC looked at them in 10 to 20 years. Um, and then the American Athletic Conference, if, if Houston happens to leave, my first call, uh, if I'm an American Athletic Conference, is, uh, is Georgia State because of the Atlanta TV market um, and, and the amount of recruiting they can get. And just think if they had an American Athletic budget uh, versus a Sunbelt budget, and just think of the recruiting they could do, the facility upgrades. You know, they bought Turner Field, so they're going to recreate that into their own home, uh, which is actually probably – it's a mile from their campus, uh, and I think it's a couple of miles from their facility, which uh, their campus is, is kind of – I don't want to say weird the way it's laid out. I mean, it's a very urban layout for their campus. It's just like buildings uh, – just that's kind of like a group – of buildings that happens to be their campus like if you drive through it blink you miss it type of deal but all their all their campus is like high rises it's it's kind of it's kind of unique in the way it's set up and then their football facility um like if you go out out of turner field and like i think it's i forget what road it is but you turn right uh going going east and it's kind of out east atlanta and there's you can see their practice field and their football facility kind of sits up on a hill uh, which is not far from Turner Field. So, I mean, it'd be a great, great uh, – well, it is a great addition for them um, as far as that goes. Now, Georgia Southern, they have the tradition. They were – their football program was born in 1983. So, out of all the schools you just named, Central Florida, South Florida, Georgia State, Georgia State is only single digits years old. So, uh, they're still very young as a football program. 
Um, and I'll tell you another football program that's that's in SCS right now that's in the Southern Conference is uh, Kennesaw State. They are they are catching fire and they they are growing rapidly. They're going they're growing even more rapidly than than Georgia State did uh, to this point. So they might surpass Georgia State to be honest with you. Um, but Georgia Southern has the has the richest tradition out of all the schools I just named um, because when they when they were born in 1983. Uh, Georgia's famed defensive coordinator, Irk Russell, who I sent you a picture of last night uh, on, in our group chat. Um, and, I, and if you look up a lot of his pictures when he was defensive coordinator um, for Vince Dooley at Georgia, he was known for headbutting players. And he would, like, headbutt them to fire them up. And you would see just – like, you couldn't see a picture of Irk Russell without blood pouring off his – pouring down his face from, from getting a cut on his forehead from headbutting somebody. Um, and he was like the – and he built Georgia Southern football. He won a national championship right out of the gate. Uh, they were double-A – they were like a double-A powerhouse. They were the North Dakota State before North Dakota State in uh, in double-A and, and – uh, well, formerly double-A and now FCS um, before they before they got promoted a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I think three or four years ago. They got promoted to uh, to FBS, but they were – they were a powerhouse, uh, and they won a national championship in FCS as recently as 1999. So, um, a very storied program. Um, to be as young as they are, they're still relatively young when you look at the blue blood type programs. But I mean, they, you know, they've got a great recruiting area in South Georgia. You know, where they're from, they're they're about 45 miles from Savannah, which is a good area. You have Camden County down there. You have pockets of good areas in South Georgia. So South Georgia is very rural, so the the schools are more spread out. But I mean, one of the best schools in, in the southeast is probably 60 miles up the road in Moultrie, where Rush Probst is at Colquitt County. Uh, you can pull a lot of talent from there. You can pull a lot of talent from Jacksonville, North Florida. Uh, you even get some of the Atlanta kids that come down. Uh, you know, it's a very popular school. A lot of kids go there. It's a kind of high enrollment. So, you know, they got a lot of stuff going for them. So I could see them being in a big conference as well. You know, I, I get fired up. Like, they, like Georgia Southern used to be – I used to love watching them play. Um, because they were kind of like the, the little brother to Georgia. And uh, so I always kind of rooted for them. So I'd like to see them do well in a bigger conference. Definitely. Yeah. That's uh, and coach. We really appreciate all your, uh, your, your Georgia knowledge right here. Cause you know, I'm a, I'm a Yankee, so I, I, I can't really uh, speak to that that much, but um, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I was in Atlanta last spring for a conference and it's a college football town, man. Like really you know, people love their college football, the football there. There's, they got the hall of fame. Tech can't do better. Recruit. Yeah. Georgia state's going to out recruit Georgia tech. Yeah. Well, I mean, Georgia tech obviously has the academic academic issues that, you know, um, you need a pretty darn good GPA to get into to Georgia tech. So um, and some better test scores probably than it's going to be to get into Georgia State, Georgia Southern, something like that. But uh, we need to keep it moving here. So, uh, Coach, what have you got for your quick slant? Well, I was going to I was going to take you on a whip around around the uh, around the Mountain West. Uh, kind of what's going on? It's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of an uh, I guess an important weekend here in the Mountain West. Uh, you have Wyoming taking on UNLV, the running Rebels. Uh, Wyoming seven and two, looking to. Uh, looking to improve their record. They're undefeated in conference, so they're looking to improve on that over UNLV. Uh, Boise State takes on uh, Hawaii. They make the trip out to Honolulu. Uh, they're 8-1, and one looking, to, uh, looking to improve their record as well. Uh, New, Mexi New Mexico uh, travels to Utah State 
Um, New Mexico six and three. Utah State is three and six overall. Uh, Donnell Pumphrey and the Aztecs take on the – or they travel to Reno to take on Nevada. And then uh, the Fighting Bobos are traveling to – uh, Colorado Springs to take on the Air Force Academy. So I wanted to kind of list out the games, but I was going to talk about a couple of them. And I'm going to start with Boise we're, State. Yeah, we're going to be doing Colorado State Air Force during our spread formations at the end. So yeah, yeah. So I was going to I was going to talk about Boise State. Um, you know, I, I think you know they they've uh, you know they've seen their obviously they are just kind of playing for pride now and playing for the playing for the conference title because their college playoff berth um, is, is gone now. Um, the, the rainbow warriors, um, you know, of course they, uh, they've dropped back to back games, 28, 21 on the road at San Diego state. And then, uh, or actually 28, 21 to New Mexico. And then last week got pummeled um, by San Diego state 55 to zero. Um, they were four and oh, or they were four and two in their previous six, uh, and oddly enough, they still sit in second place in the West Division in the Mountain West, um, which is kind of weird, the, the, the trend that's gone. So, um, and, and I don't think we would have expected that, especially with the last couple scores. We thought we got, they'd have kind of fallen back there. But, um, you know, obviously with Boise State, you know what, you know what you're getting there. Brett Rippon, uh, he was 16 of 21 for 219 and three touchdowns. Uh, last week, uh, Cedric Wilson, of course, his favorite target uh, has been all year. He caught six passes for 102 uh, yards last week. Chaz, Ander- Chaz Anderson also um, is starting to emerge as a target as well. Um, so I won't get too much into Boise State. We know what we're going to get with them. High-octane offense. They get after you on defense. They play They play sound in all three phases. Um, and, uh, you know, hashtag year of the third phase. Um, so they play well in all three phases uh, for the most part. So Hawaii, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, you have Drew Brown, you know, and, and his and when they got pummeled, San Diego State, he was 22 of 35 for 135 yards. He threw three interceptions. Um, and then they bring in Andrew or Andrew, Aaron Zawalin, um, and he was three of 10 for 32 yards and a pick. So not, you know, they, in, I don't know how much of it was the opponent, you know, how much of it was, you know, they just don't really have a quarterback, I, I guess. Uh, we kind of won't know really um, at all this week. So, um, but, uh, you know, whoever's throwing the ball, um, they better find John Ursa. Um, he's, he's the, he was the leading res, uh, receiver, seven catches for 41 yards. Um, Marcus Kemp, he's, a, he's another weapon you could find in Dylan Colley. Um, so they, uh, you know, they like to kind of throw it around. That You know, they like to kind of try to spread it around. Of course, they were unsuccessful last week, so they're going to have to kind of clean some of that up. Um, Steven Lalaka on the ground, he's uh, at 14 carries for 40 yards. Paul Harris was four carries for 19 yards. Not much offense going, but, again, a lot of that could have been due to the fact they were playing San Diego State, and San Diego State is stout on defense. So we'll kind of see what they got against this Boise State attack. Um, if you're looking at kind of at the advantages here, uh, Boise State – Obviously has the advantage on offense. Um, Rippon is a stud at quarterback, um, and, and he kind of just leads the attack there. Everybody else just kind of falls in line. Defense, uh, Boise State, again, has the edge here. Hawaii's allowing 38.2 points per game. Um, they're number they're 119th in the country. So uh, that doesn't bode well for the Rainbow Warriors. It could be another rough week for them. Uh, special teams, uh, finally, 
Hashtag year of the third phase. Hawaii comes in here. Maybe they can steal a few possessions here. Maybe they can get some points and take advantage of, uh, of maybe some mistakes that Boise State could possibly make. Uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, um, he hasn't missed a kick all year. So I'm going to take this opportunity to knock on some wood. All right. Um, and he's, he's totaled 58 points, which I believe has him uh, as Hawaii's leading scorer. Coaching, uh, of course, uh, Brian Harrison – uh, gets the edge there. Nick Rolovich is um, still kind of a rookie. So um, if, uh, you know, for Hawaii, I, I think the thing they need to do is just get their quarterback situation figured out. Once they get that figured out, you know, some th- some other things can fall in line. They just got to kind of hang on for dear life on defense and, and hope that their quarterback situation works itself out. But, you know, if, if I'm looking at the, uh, if I'm looking at the predictions, I, I think Boise State has a, uh, has a three touchdown, three to four touchdown advantage here. Um, I don't see any reason why, unless they get jet lag, that that they don't win by three touchdowns. And then, uh, and then another game I was going to talk about um, was going to be San Diego State versus Nevada because, really, quite frankly, I wanted to give Donnell Pumphrey some love here. Um, you know, you have uh, you have Aztecs who um, they're sitting in first place in the West Division right now. Um, and they're, uh, you know, they, it looks like they're well on course for their second straight conference uh, title um, if they keep on the track that they're on. Um, they've won its last five games over UNLV, Fresno, San Jose State, Utah State, and Hawaii. Um, of course, I just talked about them demolishing uh, Hawaii 55 to nothing. Um, so they, they're, they're on a roll. But uh, you have the Wolfpack. They sit in fifth place in the West. Um, they started out three and three, but man, they they have just kind of fallen off a cliff here. Um, they've lost their last three to San Jose State, Wyoming, and New Mexico. All three pretty good teams, except maybe San Jose State. Um, they had a bye week two weeks ago, um, and then they lost a road game to the to the Lobos, thirty five twenty six. Um, so San Diego State, we know we know what we're getting there. Um, they uh, they have Christian Chapman at, at leading the way at quarterback. He was only seven and fifteen for seventy six yards, but he threw three touchdowns and only one interception. When Donnell Pumphrey has things going for you, I guess you don't really I guess you don't really need to have a great quarterback, just somebody that can complete passes to get defenses uh, back out of the box, trying to stop uh, Donnell Pumphrey. Um, but Donald Pumphrey, you know, 112 yards on the ground on 21 carries. Probably didn't finish the game. Probably would have had a lot more, but they probably took him out because they were, you know, again pummeling Hawaii 55 to nothing. So why wear him down? So uh, Rashad Penny um, chipped in with 108 on eight touches. So that's pretty good. Uh, you math majors can uh, can put that in your little calculator for a for a pretty good uh, yards per per rush average. Juwan Washington also had five carries for 48 yards and a touchdown. So it's safe to say that San Diego State has a strong rushing attack. Uh, Nevada, let's take a look at James Butler. Um, he's, uh, you know, what we know about Nevada is that he, uh, you know, they like to run as well. You know, James Butler ran for 94 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries. Um, but uh, they only rushed for 108 total yards. Uh, because Aki Muhammad was the team's other player with positive rushing yards, um, thanks to his one carry for 17 yards. Um, Ty Gangi, their quarterback, he threw for 301 and three touchdowns and two interceptions, 1934 passing last week. Um, so they've got a pretty good cast. It's just they're very inconsistent. So let's take a look at some of the matchups here offensively. 
Um, the advantage goes to San Jose, San, San Diego State. I'm sorry. Uh, Pumphrey is, is the difference maker there. Uh, Nevada can be a pretty good offense, but they're going to be some buzzsaw here. Defense, they're, seven, they're number seven in scoring defense, and they're allowing 15.1 points per game. So I said earlier they were tough on defense. Well, there's, there's the stats to back it up. They're seventh in scoring defense, so obviously the advantage is going to go to them. Special teams, uh, well, hashtag year of the third phase goes to San Diego State. So, um, you know, Penny is, uh, is, a, is a key factor in that return game. Uh, John Barron has only missed he, – he's, he's uh, 12 of 14 on his field goals for the year. Um, and one of those misses was from uh, uh, over 50, and the other one was from over 40. So um, it's not like he's uh, missing easy chip shots here. Um, so, you know, what I think about this game um, – to, to wrap it up, I think I think it's going to be all San Diego State, to be honest with you. I think Nevada is going to compete uh, for a little while, but I think San Diego State's defense is going to be too stifling, and Donnell Pumphrey is going to have another field day um, just because he's that talented. Um, and, uh, and I think he's going to have bigger numbers because he's going to be in the ball game a little bit longer. And uh, so I, I think it's going to be uh, San Diego State probably going to be around 38, and Nevada is probably going to be around 17. All right. Thank you, Coach. Uh, you've really been loving the Mountain West recently, so glad that you've uh, sort of glommed onto that conference. Yes. But um, all right. Final quick slant today is from me. Um, I'm going back to uh, the, the conference that I know and love, the American, after Josh took a little time with them last week. Um, two huge games with conference implications, division implications in the American this weekend. Let's start in Annapolis, where the Middies are hosting a surging Tulsa team um, in a massive stylistic contrast on offense. Obviously, maybe running that triple option. Tulsa spreading it out, throwing it out around. And I was very surprised to see that Tulsa is actually a one-point favorite on the road here in this game. Um, and that, what that tells me is that Vegas has no idea because uh, Navy's been a little up and down recently. They've had some big wins, a couple of tough losses. But coming into this game, these two teams have almost identical defenses in terms of yards per game. The Golden Hurricane giving up 425.9, Navy giving up 427.9 um, in terms of total yards per game. But, um, you know, on the other side of the ball, Navy loves to run it. Um, quarterback Will Worth, though, has been putting the ball in the air more in recent weeks. That has been um, a product not just of planning, but also uh, out of necessity as well, trying to come back. But they got that huge victory against uh, Notre Dame last weekend um, in South Bend. So uh, they, are, they, they should be feeling pretty good about themselves. Um, this, uh, this game is going to go, though, a long way to determine who is going to win the West in the AAC this year. I'm going to take the middies in a tight one, 28-24. The other big game in the American this weekend is an interdivisional matchup between Memphis and South Florida in Tampa. Uh, two of the AAC's top signal callers are going to be squaring off uh, with Quentin Flowers for USF and Riley Ferguson for Ashley Cross Tigers. Um, Flowers is having the season this year that we thought Greg, Ju Greg Ward Jr. was going to have. Um, he's got uh, 37 combined touchdowns, 27 through the air, 10 on the ground. He leads his team in both passing and rushing. And I would not be surprised at all if we see him uh, next fall in New York for the Heisman Ceremony. 
Memphis. Been a little bit more up and down recently, but first-year starter at quarterback, Riley Ferguson, is having a very impressive year under center. Um, I've also been very impressed with first-year head coach Mike Norvell and his staff. Um, you know, a, a, these guys, a lot of that staff – were uh, worked with him at Arizona State under Coach Bluetooth. And you see that they, you know, a lot of the staff came with Mike Norvell to Memphis and they're looking better than Arizona State is looking. So, um, you know, there's definitely, uh, Norvell was actually was able to take a lot of the really good coaches that were working for the Sun Devil program with him to Memphis. And they're making, you know, uh, you know strides. Obviously, you know, when you lose a head coach, and quarterback in the same year, there is a lot of, uh, you know, there could be a lot of turmoil, but, you know, they have stayed right on track and have been playing some really good football. Um, this weekend, though, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with Flowers, Marlon Mack, and the rest of the Bulls' multifaceted attack. So I'm going to take South Florida in a barn burner, 48-42. This should be a fun one, though. I think this is going to be uh, this will probably be the, aesthetically the best football to watch in the conference this weekend. So, but both these games are definitely worth watching. Um, between these and the Sun Belt game that Josh talked about, there is some really good group of five football this weekend. So, we hope that you all are able to tune into some of those games as well. All right, well, it's time for us to get into our deep roots. So like we did this past Tuesday, uh, we're actually going to be uh, going, instead of game by game, we're going conference by conference so we can touch on a couple more games than we have been able to um, in the past. And we're going to go alphabetically again, starting with the ACC. So there are three, uh, I'd say, you know, coming into this weekend, there are the, the top three teams are all on potential upset alert at home with Clemson hosting Pitt, Virginia Tech hosting Georgia Tech, and Louisville uh, hosting already bowl-eligible Wake Forest. So my question, I guess I'll start with you, Josh, is which of these uh, top three top teams is on upset alert at home? Well, I think most people would assume <clears throat> I would go with Wake. I've talked about them probably almost too much all season. They are bowl-eligible, and they have that 14th-ranked defense, so – you kind of have shades of Vandy where they're, they're a really, really tough out. They give you a game each and every week, but I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is the weakest of these three favorites, and they're playing a Georgia Tech team that does pretty well against them. Uh, since uh, Paul – since uh, – what's his face? Paul Johnson. There we go. I had a brain fart for a second. Since Paul Johnson was hired in 2008. Uh, yeah. Uh, since he was hired in, in 2008, um, they, the Hokies lead the series two games to six, but they've all been super close. Every game has been decided by one point uh, outside of the matchup five years ago. Uh, not one point, one possession, excuse me about that. But, um, you know, Virginia Tech just has not really put away this offense. And, you have a new coach who's never really had to coach against Paul Johnson before. And you have Bud Foster, who, although he's been there, like I said, has given up points and has had some really tough battles with the Yellow Jackets. So I think the Hokies are on the biggest upset alert. Coach, how, what do you think? You think the Hokies are the biggest upset alert as well? Well, I, I would say that, but I'm going to take a look at Pittsburgh a little bit because I think uh, how high we had them. Um, in the preseason ranking where they are right now. I, I still think they're a tough out. Um, now, what what kind of makes me think 
that Clemson should be on upset alert. Now, that's not, that's not saying that Clemson is not going to come out there and, and completely smoke them, and I'm not saying Clemson's going to lose, and I'm not saying that – you know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying Clemson should be ready to play because this is not your uh, – this is not what Pitt used to be. Um, and this is – and Pitt's not, not even the same team that they started out, they started out struggling with. But, um, you know, one of the things Pitt has going for them, uh, you know, they're great up front. You know, they have James Conner leading the, leading the rushing attack. Um, but I, I think what they do um, really well is defensively, when they're on, uh, they stop opposing ground games. They're really good against the rush. Um, they, uh, you know, Ewan Price also, uh, he, he's, uh, he's their defensive fan. He anchors the defense. And he, he uh, ranks third in the nation in sacks. Um, and tackles for loss per game. So he averages a sack and 1.78 tackles for loss per game, respectively. So, you know, you have a defensive line that's anchored by, by him. Uh, special teams, you have Quadri Henderson. He's, uh, he leads the nation in kickoff return average, uh, which is 33.8 yards per return, and kickoff return touchdowns at three. So he's a very – big-time weapon in, uh, in special teams and kick return. So uh, I, I think for, for Clemson, what they have to caution against is that, A, you know, you had uh, Deshaun Watson. He left last week's game with a bruised right shoulder. They blew out Syracuse, so they're feeling themselves a little bit right now. Uh, Wayne Gallman, uh, kind of a fun fact about him, he is 70 yards shy of becoming the sixth player in Clemson history to eclipse 3,000 yards in his career. Um, so uh, he's got that going for him, but it'll be a tough feat for him. Um, and, uh, you know, Pitt is always a, is always a tough out. And, and for, for their program, this is actually the highest-ranked opponent they have faced since 2007 when they, uh, when, when they kind of messed up the BCS when they, uh, when they beat uh, top-ranked West Virginia 13-9, to um, if you guys remember that game. Um, that kind of created the debate of whether or not Georgia should leapfrog um, or should just move up into that spot. And the whole not winning your conference debate was started because Pitt upset West Virginia 13-9 that year with uh, Pat White, Steve Slayton, and, and that crew. So um, you've got a lot of factors going for Pittsburgh in this game, a lot of motivation factors. Um, you have a dangerous return man that Pittsburgh brings to the t- table. Um, and, and all of the weapons they bring up defensively, if they're on the same page, they are a really dangerous team. They can really come and, and come out ready to play. And then they could, they could make this thing a game. Um, but, of course, Clemson, when they're on all cylinders and Deshaun Watson's healthy, um, you see what they can do as well. So uh, they should be on upset alert. I'm not necessarily calling the upset, but they should be on high alert. Yeah, I want to I wanna just continue with Clemson here just for a second. And – uh, it's senior day uh, this weekend for Clemson. It's their last home game of the season. And they've already announced that uh, four, four juniors uh, are, going to be, um, are going to be going to the draft. So they are going to be celebrated with the senior class. Quarterback to Sean Watson, running back Wayne Gallman, who, who you previously mentioned, and wide receivers Mike Williams and Artavis Scott. All these guys have, you know, they haven't officially announced they're going pro, but they're being, you know, sort of getting their senior send-off as, you know, underclassmen um, this weekend. And I think that was actually a really nice tip of the cap by Dabo Swinney. I don't always agree with uh, Dabo's thinking um, or his or, or on everything he does, but I thought this was a very nice 
classy touch by uh, by the by by the coach, and it's clear that you know he he really gets a lot out of his players, a lot out of these guys. Um, but I think that you know the biggest spread on these three games that we've been talking about so far is the Louisville at home over Wake. They're thirty-five point favorites, and I don't you know as good as Louisville's offense is, I don't think that they're going to win by thirty-five over Wake Forest. And I think that there's a, a chance that they are. I don't know if it's a trap game quite, but they, they are playing Houston next week, and we've all seen what Houston can do. So um, I think that Louisville, there's a possibility that they're overlooking Wake Forest a little bit. I, I still think that the Cardinal are going to win by three scores, but I'm not sure. 35 seems a little bit too much uh, for me um, in, in terms of that. Uh, elsewhere in the conference, uh, a couple undercards, uh, North Carolina taking on Duke tonight. tonight Today's Thursday as we're recording. Um, North Carolina should win that one handily. Duke is having a absolutely wretched year. They're still winless in conference. Florida State announced today that Derwin James is out for the rest of the season, which is, uh, you know, he's been out for a little while now, but he's the, their best player in the secondary. They're playing Boston College this weekend, so that shouldn't be that much of an issue because Boston College can't throw the ball or run the ball. So, um, you know, they, they could throw, you know, Florida State could throw out the three of us on defense. We'd be able to stop BC's offensive attack. But um, I, I think that one of the more intriguing games is NC State at Syracuse. Now, there's no line on this game right now because the status of uh, Tony Dungy, Syracuse quarterback, is still up in the air. But uh, Dino, Dino Babers is, you know, they're not – they're almost 500. I think that, you know, they could beat North Carolina State this week. Um, and then they finish with, you know, two – uh, tough games versus Florida State and at Pitt. So it doesn't look like they're going to make a bowl. But I'm just curious to uh, to what you guys think. We'll, I'll start with you, Josh, as to how do you think Babers' first season at Syracuse is gone? I think it's gone really, really well, honestly. I mean, he, he took over a mess. I mean, let's put it real simply. I mean, they had, they had a bunch of coaches in a really short time span. And so there was like a patchwork quilt of players recruited for different systems that weren't his. Um, you know, he, he won every game he was supposed to this year so far. I think we would agree with that. And he got one upset against Virginia Tech. So I would say by pulling off an upset and winning every game he was supposed to, that he's honestly ahead of schedule. South Florida, good team. Louisville, great team. Clemson, fantastic team. Those are his losses. Notre Dame, maybe you could talk yourself into that being a bad one, but Notre Dame's been a disappointment. We thought Notre Dame was going to be a good team. So I really don't think he's had a bad year. I, I think this has been exactly what the Orange needed. If he had lost that Colgate game to start the season and had lost the Connecticut game and they were sitting here with two wins, and it'd be a different story. But like I said, they, they beat everyone they were supposed to, and they have an upset. Hats off to the rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think Dino Babers has done a tremendous job. Um, and for anybody to say otherwise, it's just naive, or they just want something to complain about. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, they've made their share of mistakes, and they're still growing as a program. I mean, they, they it wasn't too long ago they were – just kind of uh, 
a, a program that was just happy to uh, put their uniforms on right. And, uh, you know, that they, they've really come a long way. And Dino Babers has got that group believing and, you know, they're overachieving. And then once he starts to kind of recruit his guys and he kind of tries to figure out how to recruit the Northeast and how to, how to get people from different areas to come to Syracuse and, and things like that. Once he kind of figures it out and the light bulb comes on truly for him and he starts to get his guys in, Syracuse is going to be a nasty team. And uh, they have a lot of potential. They've just got to continue to grow. And I, I think that Dino Babers has shown everybody that, that, that they can trust that he knows what he's doing. So now he can relax and just go do his thing, and he doesn't have to worry about um, the pressure from the community, the alumni, the university, all that good stuff, um, all that stuff that coaches have to worry about. I don't think he has to worry about that for now and, and for the near future because I think he's bought himself a lot of time. So, um, And I don't see any reason – um, why they shouldn't wipe the floor with North Carolina State this week. North Carolina State is uh, – they're not a putrid team, but they've been playing like one lately, uh, and they've just been downright awful um, the last four games. Uh, just, you know, the games that they've lost. And, and I know, you know, I know it's hard to say that uh, went, losing by a touchdown or less is putrid, but my goodness, you know, I think the one game that they played well in was against Florida State, and I think it was a lot of just Florida State playing bad. But man, they've just looked downright awful uh, lately. And you know, I, I I I see that Syracuse should wipe the floor with them. They probably won't uh, because Syracuse is just not there yet as a program. Uh, they can't take these kind of games and run with them just yet. Um, but they certainly had the potential to, and they certainly should, but they probably won't. So it'll be an interesting matchup. It'll be a uh, – and if NC State has any bit of character left in them or any any bit of hope left in them, if that wasn't ripped away by uh, the uh, the Walking Dead last week at, at uh, BC, then, uh, you know, I, I don't know what – I don't know what is. Hey, you know, so yeah. you, you brought up NC State playing putrid. I, I double-checked their schedule. They started out three or four and one. Yeah, they're a good team, but the last they've been lately they've been they've been an absolutely putrid team. They and and I, you know and we even talked about them as being one of the teams that we thought were exceeding expectations. And then you know the old saying is, hey, they fell off a cliff. Well, that dumb, they fell off a cliff and they fell fast. Yeah, they they really have fallen fast, and you know. The waters might be getting a little bit warm under Dave Doran, um, guy who I think we all, you know, I think we all like and respect him as a coach, but they're just the results really haven't been there. Um, and after this weekend, uh, they have Miami and North Carolina to finish the season. So those are going to be two tough games for them as well. That game, the North Carolina game, is in Chapel Hill, so um, it's definitely going to be. You know, uh, it, it, very tough sledding for the Wolfpack to make a bowl game this year, which I think, you know, I think a lot of people in and around the program thought that this was a bowl team this year. And it just it hasn't turned out that way. So, uh, you know, they are, you know, they're, they're going to have to sort of take a long look at themselves in the mirror at the end of the season and say, you know, is Doran really the guy that we want leading this program going forward? Um, 
So, uh, you know, we need to move on then to the Big 12 next. Um, and only four games in the conference this weekend. And one of them, we're going to save the worst for last. A lot of places save the best for last. We're going to save the worst for last, which will be at the end of our spread formations. If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know who we're talking about. So, uh, there, so that leaves us three games in the conference this weekend. Uh, the biggest one is Baylor at Oklahoma. Baylor has lost their last two games after starting at 6-0. and oh. Oklahoma, on the flip side, after starting 1-2, and two, has won six in a row, and they are starting to look much better. Um, uh, West Virginia travels to Austin to take on Texas, and uh, Texas Tech is in Stillwater to take on the Cowboys, Oklahoma State. But right now, you know, Oklahoma is the best team in the conference, it, it seems. And my question to you guys, and Josh, we'll start with you, is any, can anyone challenge Oklahoma going forward? Oh, of course. Of course someone could challenge them going forward. I talked about it when we did our recap earlier in the week. They have that tough trip out to Morgantown. Uh, that's a crazy, crazy fan base. That's one of the more underrated road trips teams have to make. Um, it's going to be the longest flight all year for Oklahoma. So they've had road trips, but they haven't had something where they're in the plane for several hours and then playing in a super hostile crowd. I guarantee you, Oklahoma Sooner Nation, when they played that game up at Lubbock against Texas Tech, I bet there was a healthy Sooner fan base. That's not going to be the case in Morgantown. That's an extremely tough game. And then the very following week, Bedlam. Matt, you've been all over that game. The Cowboys are your domain. I, I know that you're a big fan of the Gundy machine. so I love Mike Gundy. And I, I, I literally cannot explain why. Mike Gundy is my favorite uh, is, is my favorite coach in the conference, without a doubt. Um, it might be my, you know, it might be my favorite coach outside of out, outside of the Big Ten. So, yeah, so, um, so I mean, Oklahoma, they're playing a lot better, but you run through their wins, and looking better does not guarantee that they are the best team in the league because TCU's fall apart. Texas is going to fire Charlie Strong. Kansas State is a really good defensive team, but still struggling offensively. Texas Tech, we talked about their issues, and Kansas and Iowa State. They exactly they haven't exactly played a murderer's row during this win streak. Well, no, I mean, they, 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 they haven't beaten a team that's currently ranked in, the, in, in either the coaches' poll or the AP poll. Yeah. No. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to say it was, it's Baylor and they're talented enough to challenge Oklahoma, but I think – I think the newswire is a little slow in Waco because, you know, they just now – they're just now protesting the firing of Art Riles. Maybe they just found out. Maybe they thought Jim Grobe was just Art Riles that just looked a little bit different. I don't know. Um, so, I think uh, – I think they just found out about uh, – I think they just found out about the Vietnam War. So, I think they're going to be trying to figure out how to protest that this weekend so they'll get shellacked again. Um, they're going to, I think they're wearing their, uh, peace, love, and war, uh, stickers on their helmets or something like that to protest the Vietnam war. And, uh, they will, uh, you know, I think they'll get shellacked this weekend against Oklahoma. Um, you know, I say all that tongue in cheek because of the inappropriate protest they had last week with Art Riles. Um, but I, you know, it's just disappointing, you know, it's disappointing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
you know, you guys put it perfectly. It's Oklahoma State and West Virginia are the teams that, you know, the teams are going to put the most pressure on Oklahoma. Uh, Bedlam is going to – I think Oklahoma can get past West Virginia um, just because of how physical they are and just how well they're playing right now. Um, but I think Oklahoma State uh, and the uh, the fighting Cowboys um, of uh, in, in that Bedlam matchup, there's – you know, they call it Bedlam for a reason, folks. Um, it's always a tough matchup. So, um you know, as far as the game this weekend, I think Oklahoma is going to shellack Baylor. Um, we'll get to Kansas later. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's going to put a shellacking on Texas Tech. Um, I still think uh, West Virginia is going to going to put it on Texas, and I think I think it's going to be you know I think it's going to be that kind of that final nail in, in the Charlie Strong coffin because uh, they've been kind of waiting for that nail and they haven't gotten it yet. But I think West Virginia is going to bear some at home, and that's going to be enough uh, for. Uh, for the for the Longhorns, that's well, kind you know, of my- you know something. Speaking of that game, coach, the Longhorns are actually two point favorites at home, which really shocked me coming in. I mean, obviously, uh, West Virginia is uh, you know Texas is much more of a public team to use a gambling term, but yeah. um, West Virginia is is good. West Virginia is is very very good. They've proven that to us this year. Yeah. Um, but Texas, you know, right now. Uh, sitting at uh, five and four, you know they'll make, they'll make a bowl, obviously, but that's not enough in Texas. And we all know, Josh, that they're going to lose next week at Kansas, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, like Kansas is so primed for that game; they're ready. I've been talking to David Beatty. Uh, they got some game tape. They're going to throw some trickeration at Charlie Strong, and and it's it's going to stun the world, but not me. Oh right, yeah, well we we, are, we can't wait to talk <laughs> that game. Uh, if, next they lose, if they lose by 70, do I, is that a credible excuse for me not to do my first podcast with you guys? No, no, we're, we're, we're just gonna, we're just gonna ream you out because of it. Okay. Um, well, it's time for us to move on, uh, to a conference that has a couple more matchups than just four. And that is the big 10. And, you know, there are a couple stinkers out there. Rutgers at Michigan state, the teams are combined. Michigan four and four. Four and fourteen, zero and twelve in conference. That's a rough one. Um, Michigan, and Iowa. <laughs> Michigan and Iowa. Northwestern. Do you see the number by Michigan State that they're just bad? Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't know that, but uh, this conference, the Big Ten, is the home of our of this week's it's a trap game of the week, and that is Penn State heading to Bloomington to take on the Hoosiers. And, you know, Josh, I know that you've had this game circled actually now for a couple of weeks once Penn State started looking good again, uh, saying that, you know, this is, this is a spot that Indiana could really impress some people. And so, Josh, what does Indiana need to do in order to pull off the upset? Well, there's three points about Indiana that I want to make. And the first is their defense is so much better than it ever has been under the the, uh, the Kevin Wilson administration. Uh, so let's look at it. Scoring defense this year, 60th in the country. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of eye rolls saying, hey, uh, Josh, that's not very good. Uh, well, last year was 160 in scoring. Uh, yard defense. 100, 100, uh, oh, no, never mind. That's uh, never mind. Um, a game. I was going to say, no, actually it's 119th, but that's actually uh, – uh, opponents yards per game yeah in um in yards per game this year they're 51st uh last year 121st so those are huge strides that 
they have not gotten blown out this year as a result, thanks to that defense just being a lot more dependable. So if their defense could slow down Penn State in any way, and I know that's hard with McSorley being such a dual threat and Barkley getting his running game going really strong, it's going to be tough, but the defense is a more reliable force. Uh, The second thing is Indiana is still not good enough to overcome turnovers. And in their losses this year, Indiana is minus seven in turnover differential and has 11 total giveaways. In their wins, they're positive four with six total turnovers. And a lot of that actually was the Rutgers game, which was a 33-27 game they could have lost. Indiana was minus three in the uh, turnover game and had four giveaways. So if they can hold on to the ball, and that's such an obvious statement, but you really see it in these kind of borderline teams like Indiana. That's when the turnover margin really matters. In, you know, Alabama can turn the ball, ball over three or four times, and they'll be able to survive. Indiana doesn't have that luxury. And then the last thing is we know Kevin Wilson's offense is really good for the most part. Uh, this year they have really struggled offensively. They're 78th in the country. However, against Maryland and Rutgers, they – scored a total of 75 points, and the offense is really figuring some things out. And what they're doing is we've talked about coaches needing to be flexible, and that's what the best coaches do. And Kevin Wilson has been super flexible with his offensive game plan the last two weeks. Against Maryland, uh, he put out his backup quarterback, Xander Dimont, for a few plays, and he had 11 rushes for 104 yards against uh, Rutgers, he did the same thing. Uh, Xander came out, carried the ball four times for 56 yards. Xander is this great running threat when you put him in the backfield with Divine Redding and Tyler Nate, who's come on the, this year, uh, that Indiana rush offense finally has some pop. When they let Richard Legault take every offensive snap, um, th- their offense just didn't have as good of a running component. Teams weren't afraid of the running attack. When they put Xander out there, defenses have to be honest because when they start to do that read option with Xander, they finally have a quarterback that's willing to run. And Richard Legault is a great passer still. He had almost 400 passing yards against Rutgers. But doing the read option with Richard Legault was an exercise in futility because Legault was never taking it. Now that they bring Xander out there, they have that rushing attack. So they need to hold on to the ball. They need to win the turnover margin. The defense needs to find a way to remain strong, and they're going to need to really find creative ways to get the running game going and remain balanced. And if Xander can continue to do what he's done the last two weeks, Indiana has a shot. I don't love it. Penn State's been playing great lately, but Indiana is still a team that I think is really dangerous. So, Coach, then what does Penn State need to do in order to avoid the upset? Well, um, they need to have McSorley lead the way, um, as he's been doing, Trace McSorley. Um, he's talked about, um, he's talked about uh, the offense having no offensive turnovers in the past three weeks. Uh, he was quoted in saying, our preparation has stepped up each and every week. Uh, th- that's something we've really taken a hold of as an offensive unit and continue to pr- progress on a lot. Obviously, when you don't turn the ball over, 
you have a lot more success. Um, so defensively, you know, their pass defense ranks fourth in the Big Ten in pass defense. Uh, they average three sacks per game, and that ranks second in the conference as well. Um, going back to the offense, um, Saquon Barkley, he has a conference-leading 1,055 yards rushing and 13 total touchdowns. Um, he, uh, he rushed for 167 and scored twice, Josh, last week. Um, so you could probably speak on Saquon Barkley uh, better than I can. Um, McSorley has a 55% completion percentage, not great. Um, but he is in, he's second in Big Ten in yards per attempt at 8.5 and interception percentage at 1.2. Um, Saeed Blacknall, a, a kid that's been a late bloomer, uh, so to speak, um, he said he had three catches for 96 yards uh, in the last three weeks, um, and uh, he's, he's done a, a tremendous job there. So offensively, they just need to continue to do what they do, take care of the football, give it to Saquon Barkley, throw it to Blacknall every once in a while, just have McSorley just kind of manage the whole thing and just get him in good plays and, and keep him in good field position. Because uh, this defense also is, has been uh, one of the better defenses in, in recent Penn State history. Um, probably, I think, the best defense under, uh, under James Franklin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they, have a, uh, they have a very deep front seven. They've only yielded a combined 76 yards in rushing the past two weeks. Um, this is the first time they've ever held back-to-back -back Big Ten opponents to fewer than 50 yards rushing, uh, which is impressive considering they played Iowa last week, who played in the Rose Bowl a year ago, um, who's, who's usually pretty potent. Uh, in the run game. Um, they held them to under 50 yards rushing, uh, regardless of, of how putridly Iowa's been playing lately. Uh, that's my that's my word of the day, apparently. Um, no matter how, how bad Iowa's been playing lately, they, they've still, that's still impressive to hold them to under 50 yards rushing. So uh, Penn State, they just continue to play, continue to play, continue to play. You know, they, uh, you know, defensively uh, stop Richard Legault, stop Xander, uh, just have a, you know, find an answer on offense, Look for Marcus Oliver. He ranks uh, – he's tied for fifth in all of FBS with, uh, get this, that .44 forced fumbles per game. Um, that's kind of an odd statistic, but, uh, you know, he's ranked fifth. So, he, you know, he, he's a definitely a threat um, at the linebacker position. Uh, Rashard Fant leads the country with 1.8 passes defended per game um, as well. So, they need to uh, – when McSorley comes up to the line, he needs to uh, he needs to uh, identify Richard Fant and, uh, and and try to pick him out. So uh, Penn State leads this all-time series 18 to one. Uh, they won 29-7 last year. That was without uh, Saquon Barkley. Um, and the stat I was going to give you is they hold opponents to uh, Indiana is holding opponents to 390 uh, total yards per game, uh, which is an improvement from uh, you know. Uh, 119.4 from last season, second largest improvement in the country. So they've improved 119 yards per game from last season. So you math majors, I'm giving you guys a math quiz if you don't, if you don't uh, understand. Um, so uh, Penn State has 12 straight winning seasons. Uh, they picked up their seventh win last week. Uh, they joined Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, Boise State, and Oklahoma as the only other schools with active winning streaks that long. So um, Penn State, they just, like I said, do what they do. They're playing really well right now. Just just keep on keeping on. Yeah, and if, if I'm Indiana, I, I want to see Divine Redding lined up in not just in the backfield, but also in the slot because he can catch the ball really well too. He's a very versatile back for them. 
So I, I think that I'm, I'm going to take Indiana to upset Penn State here, but it's going to be a uh, it's obviously going to be a very tough game for them. But um, elsewhere in the conference, uh, big game in the West, Minnesota heading to Nebraska. Believe it or not, Minnesota controls their own destiny in uh, the Big Ten West. And it looks like the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe is going to determine who goes to the Big Ten title game from the West. But for this week at least, Josh, um, do you think Minnesota can get the upset victory on the road in Lincoln? Well, I think they can. I mean, we saw we saw that without Tommy Armstrong Jr. and a healthy one, especially for Nebraska, they're just not quite the same offensive pop. Um, and Minnesota is a team that is not afraid to pop in, in the mouth. They're thirty sixth in rushing. They run a lot of the physical running game. Uh, they've thrown some fullback formations at you. Um, Mitch Leidner is a big kid, and his best attribute has always been his game with his feet. He's more of an athlete than a quarterback. And Rodney Smith is a big, bruising kid. And, you know, we've talked about one of the things that people always talk about in the SEC is, Alabama costs you two games for that physical. And I'm not sure Wisconsin is in that stratosphere, but Nebraska didn't look the same against Ohio State. And Ohio State we know is very physical. So these are back-to-back weeks that Nebraska has just been punched in the mouth really, really strong. They've taken a big, big hit on the jaw, and they're teetering a little bit. They're a good team, but they're teetering. And Minnesota, while not as good as Nebraska, without a doubt, they're not as good as Nebraska, the timing of it is advantageous for the Gophers because of the style play. And uh, Minnesota has to be hungry. They know that they are so close to doing the unthinkable. Um, You know, people talked about how their schedule set up a lot like Iowa's last year, where they didn't have any crossover games against the big bad boys of the East outside of Penn State a game they almost won. They obviously lost in overtime. But Minnesota has to be feeling so good about themselves. And the seniors have been through a lot. The whole, you know, Jerry Kill, Kill health issues, and then Jerry Kill eventually retiring because of his health issues. They limped through a very weird year last year where they made a bowl game, being 5-7 and seven and Kill retiring midway through the season. Those seniors and the upperclassmen have been through a lot. They're finally putting it all together. If they can steal this game in Lincoln, they are just eight quarters of football away from representing the West. That's a lot, that's a lot of hunger right there, and Nebraska kind of knows that they've been eliminated. And like I said, they, they've taken two heavy shots right on the chin, and they're getting a third one with that physical running game Minnesota boasts. Yeah, well, that's, you know, those, that, those are really the two big games in the conference this weekend. Michigan is heading to Iowa, and Josh, you're... 56 nothing. What's that? 56 nothing. 56 nothing. okay. Say no more. Same score for Ohio State at Maryland? Yep. All right. Maryland, Maryland's better than we are. Um, you guys Illinois- are not giving you more credit, Josh. They're, they're at least saying 34 to 17. <laughs> um, the... 
uh, lastly, uh, Wisconsin has their homecoming this weekend. Illinois is coming into town. What I didn't, I, what I was, I didn't realize that Jeff George Jr. had been playing quarterback at Illinois for the last couple of games. And I, I'm not sure that Illinois is going to be able to cross midfield against Wisconsin. I mean, Northwestern crossed midfield like once or twice last week. And I think that Northwestern team is significantly better than Illinois. So, you know, that, that should be a, a big win for Wisconsin. But let's keep it moving and head to uh, the Pac-12, where um, there are a couple intriguing games, um, but also some games – uh, between some teams that have really disappointed, headlined, obviously, by the Stanford-Oregon game. And so uh, m- my question to you guys, and we'll start with you, Josh, is which of the biggest disappointment teams, and I- I've put out four of them, UCLA, Arizona, Stanford, Oregon, which of these four teams has the best chance to turn things around in November? Well, I think Stanford's actually already begun to turn things around, and I think they'll continue that upward trajectory – this week, um, you know, four weeks ago, they got absolutely embarrassed. They got into pants by Washington State. Um, they, you know, they lost that bad game against Washington, but I, I think some Cardinal fans were thinking, hey, we had a lot of injuries. The game was in Seattle. Washington's a top-10 team. I think they kind of talked themselves into some excuses. But losing – at the farm to Washington State, 42-16, to 16, that was rock bottom. And they have climbed themselves out of it. They've gone 3-1 and one since, very easily could have won the Colorado game. That was their one loss. And I think they continue an upward trajectory this week. Uh, they've gotten their offense to be more stable. But they, their defense, their bread and butter, is finally getting healthy. They've held their last four opponents to 10 points, 5 points, 10 points, and 15 points. That's gone a long way. We, we talked about how they had so many injuries defensively that it was going to be hard for them. But the thing that made their injuries so bad was, was to their specific positions. They lost both of their starting cornerbacks. You lose one cornerback, you know, you still have a starter. You hope for the best. But when you have two backups out there, you're not going to do a lick of pass defense, and that's what cost them. They're finally healthy on that side of the ball. They're finally playing that vintage Stanford defense. I think they keep it going this week against Oregon. And I honestly think, looking at their schedule, Oregon, Cal, Rice, I think they have a great shot at winning out, going 9-3, and three, playing a pretty solid bowl game. If they win that bowl game, they'll be 10-3. and three. They'll probably be a top – 20 team at that point and you know losing a big time starting quarterback that they did this year um having a a lot of new faces on offense a 10-3 season is business as usual out there for Stanford yeah coach you are you in agreement there you got me yeah we got you okay um you know when I look at these disappointing teams, uh, I agree totally with Josh. You know, Stanford, I think, uh, when you looked at them, they had that rough stretch there. I think they were a lot – a lot of it was beat up. A lot of it was their quarterback play just wasn't very good at the time. Um, and they just kind of, you know, as David Shaw does, he just kind of finds a way to, to get things back on track. And I think a lot of it's just cool demeanor. 
We haven't seen – you've never seen him lose his cool on the sidelines. He's always been kind of the same old, uh, you know, David Shaw. I wanted – I was about, about said David Price. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, just a guy that's just just kind of smoothly, steadily right at the ship. He, you know, he's that airline pilot that hits rough air and the people in the back don't really notice it except for a few that speak up. But everybody else is like, oh, what? What? Man, we, we hit bad air? And then they, by, by the time they kind of realize, oh, we're in trouble, he's back and riding the ship again. And that's kind of that's the analogy I'm going to go with, uh, good or bad. So um, I want to talk about Arizona. Um, speaking of teams that are struggling. Please at, do. Um, they, they probably have the least chance um, at turning things around and having a good November. It's going to get worse for them. They take on Colorado this week. Um, and it doesn't get any easier. They've they got blown out by sixty two points last week. Uh, they have uh, three quarterbacks: um, Brandon Dawkins, Anu Solomon, and Khalil Tate. Um, that all played in that blowout. They only generated seven points on uh, two hundred eighty six yards of total offense, and got beat down by sixty two points at the hands of the uh, the Pirates and. Samaje Grant has started the last two games. He's carried the ball 27 times for 141 yards. Uh, it's just been, you know, for a team that we talked about in Arizona is, you know, not really contending for a title in, in the Pac-12. They just, you know, they were just going to kind of be that pesky team that that competed and went to a decent bowl game and just kind of made life difficult for everybody else in their division. Uh, they've been way worse in those expectations. And I kind of watched them play a little bit. And, my God, it seems like everybody's on different pages. It seems like they're just not together. It just seems like they don't care. The, the energy's gone. It just seems like Rich Rod is talking and nobody's really listening. You know, you just – all that stuff that you see as a dead man walking, uh, as a coach, you kind of see it here. Yeah, I mean, that, that team's going through the motions. Like, yeah. it's – it's, it's something that you really do not that – that I don't think anyone's expected coming into the season. We all thought it might be a little bit tough, but that they would, you know, play with some pride, and they have just not shown that at all. So um, the big game this weekend, though, in the conference is uh, obviously up in Seattle. Uh, USC, who uh, has been on fire lately, um, uh, takes on a number four in the country – Washington, uh, USC is winners of five straight, and uh, they've got this thing ticket now with uh, Sam Darnold at quarterback, um, Ronald Jones at third at running back, Juju Smith-Schuster is coming back around, starting to get some more touches, Adore Jackson, always dangerous. Um, Josh, do you think that uh, USC has the potential to beat uh, Chris Peterson's squad? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, we know they're talented. We never question their talent. And we thought that they were going to have a much better rushing attack uh, going to that power running game that they want, that they talked at length in the offseason. And I think they have certainly shown a little bit more muscle to them. Um, they found a quarterback that they really like. They switched quarterbacks midstream. But much like Oklahoma – playing better and looking better against their current schedule hasn't fully, fully convinced me. They, they 
barely beat Colorado. That's a great win. But during this winning streak, your wins have been Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona, Cal, and Oregon. Uh, last time I checked, Colorado is the only team in that group with a pulse. Arizona State still is technically over 500, but they are trending so far down that by the end of the year they won't be over 500. So is USC really turn the corner, or did they just get to play the soft part of their schedule? We'll find out in Seattle. My gut tells me Washington is the real deal and is probably going to win this game by 14 to 21, but it's, it's the Trojans. They're the blue blood of the conference. You, you never count them out. Um, so it would be an upset, but it wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be a stunner. It wouldn't be like Alabama losing to Mississippi State, let's be honest. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the one of the games that I really wanted to touch on uh, before we move on to the SEC is, uh, Coach, how many points are going to be scored in the Cal-Wazoo game? Oh, good Lord. Uh, I think it's going to be I, – I, I I'm, I'm looking up the over-under right now. Uh, the over-under is 83-and-a-half. Oh, they're going to blow that out of the water. I think – They might have that by halftime. Yeah, it's going to be – it'll be uh, – you, you remember, you remember uh, the, the old arena football scores would be like 65 to 62. It's going to be kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be one of those type games. It's going to be a fun one to watch if you like offense. Um, if, if, you are, uh, if you are Bud Foster or uh, Brent Venables or somebody that likes – that lives for defense, uh, do not watch this game. Um, this game will be harmful to your – to your health if you like defense if you but uh you know it's it's going to be a fun one it's going to be a scoring fest I, I tell you that much I can't wait to see how many yards and touchdowns combined Davis Webb and Luke Falk have yeah. because I mean they're two of the best that do it in the conference and both those guys can really spin it and it's going to be it's going to be absolutely absurd Cal plays zero defense whatsoever Washington State plays a little bit of defense but I think Cal's offense is significantly better than Wazoo's defense and Josh you and I are in a are, are in a pick em group together every week and one of the questions is always who's going to score the most points this week and number one with a bullet for me was Wazoo because I, I, I think they could put up 75 so um, well let's uh, continue from here to our final conference of the week and that is coach's own southeastern conference um, not as many marquee games as we had last week. The only matchup between ranked teams is LSU at Arkansas, and that's 24 and 25. But um, my, my question, though, is given the struggles of recently of Tennessee and Florida, and, um, you know, my question is right now, who's the best team in the East, Coach? I still think it's Florida. Um you know, it, you know, Austin Appleby is going to make his third start of the season this week against South Carolina. Um, he's 62% um, on just 67 passes, uh, three touchdowns. Uh, Del Rio is out again with a knee injury. Um, Jordan Scarlett, um, you know, he's their leading rusher, 98 carries, 483 yards and six touchdowns. Um, they, they had a bad game against Arkansas. They – Defensively, I don't know where they went. Um, they just got ran over. I guess they were emotionally exhausted after celebrating too hard against uh, after after the Georgia game. 
Um, Alex Analizone uh, will miss the rest of the season with a broken arm. Uh, starting center Cameron Dillard will not play this Saturday as well. And he may be done for the year as well with a knee injury. Uh, so they're kind of getting beat up a little bit, and I think that's kind of uh, the toll that uh, has been taken on them this season. They're not a very deep squad, and this is something we talked about in the preseason. And, and you're starting to kind of see their depth come come back to get them. But uh, fortunately for them, uh, no one else in the East is is deep either. South Carolina is probably playing the best right now. Um, right now, they're kind of trending upward. Jake Bentley is starting to starting to really play well and starting to really kind of – he should be a senior in high school, but he's really a uh, college freshman, and he's um, he's playing really well at the quarterback position. Uh, Kentucky, I've been impressed with Kentucky, but I just don't think they have the horses to, to hold on and win the East. Um, they uh, – they that chance was uh, was ruined last week by Hot Rod, uh, Rodrigo, Blankenship. Um but uh, they probably, in the East, they probably had the best two running backs with Stanley Boom Williams and Benny Snell. Um, that's, a, that's probably the best one-two punch um, in the East and one of the tops in the, in the entire conference. Uh, Steven Johnson has done a good job filling in for Drew Barker. He's thrown for 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns over the last six and a half games. Um, they've, where Kentucky struggled, though, uh, is – they lead the conference in 22 giveaways. Um, so it's kind of hard to win the East when you give the ball away 22 times. Uh, linebacker Jordan Jones for Kentucky, he leads the team with 81 total tackles. Um, but they rank near the bottom of the SEC in both scoring and total defense. Um, that's scoring at 30.4 points per game in total defense, giving up uh, 425.6 yards per game. So they're not going to do it. Uh, Tennessee is a house of cards, I think. Slowly but surely, we're starting to kind of see them quit on Butch Jones. A lot of turmoil going on within there. A lot of a lot of that surrounding Jalen Hurd. Uh, Jalen Hurd, um, he is uh, a sudden transfer announcement, which is usually a cover-up for he got dismissed or um, it's just kind of a politically correct way of, of saying screw you uh, to Butch Jones. But uh, regardless – uh, the story is that Butch Jones said that he was going to do some things to the offense to, to feature Jalen Hurd. He did none of that. Uh, and then Hurd, I think, finally called him on his uh, on his shenanigans. And Butch Jones didn't like it. And there was a whole, uh, you know, you know, I guess pissing match, uh, for lack of better words. And so um, there's been a lot of just turmoil and distraction around that program. Uh, Jalen Hurts not the first one to quit the team this year. Uh, they lost four-star receiver Preston Williams as well. Um, but John Kelly is a, is a good running back. Unfortunately, he's in a bad situation. And, I, you know, I don't think Tennessee is going gonna, is gonna to come away with the Eastern Conference uh, title there. And Georgia just lost too many games. Um, they should have been the they should have been the best one all along, but they just they kind of had a four game losing streak that kind of messed things up for them. But uh, they they're starting to kind of figure it out. But it's a little too little too late. Uh, they're probably the most talented and somewhat deepest team in the East, which is kind of like saying you're the valedictorian of summer school, uh, which is a great honor. But <laughs> coach, that's what I've not heard before, and I'm completely stealing valedictorian of summer school from you. Yeah. Um, uh, Josh, do you, are you in agreement with Coach? Do you think Florida's the best team in the East? Yes. They are the best team when healthy. Here's the different question, though. Who will represent the East? And 
I am back on my Tennessee bandwagon, my friends. So, oh. so to steal to steal the Woody page from around the horde comment of look at the schedule. How could you not say Tennessee will win the East? Florida has this very. I think best. Kentucky's going to beat them this week. That's why I think Kentucky. Uh, All right. You know, I I think Kentucky's going to beat Tennessee this weekend. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but Tennessee cannot stop the run. They couldn't stop Georgia on the run, and I think Kentucky's has a better uh, rushing attack this year. Not because they're more talented than Chubb and Michelle, just because for whatever reason they block it better and they they do it better uh, this year. Oh, I mean, I think, the, I think they the Kentucky game is scary. I'll I'll concede that point for sure. But Florida has this really pesky Gamecock team, and then the trip to Baton Rouge. So, if they lose one of those, um, that benefits Tennessee in the tiebreaker right there because Tennessee beat Florida. Uh, Georgia has Auburn, who will probably beat them, so that'll eliminate Georgia. Um, the other games, by the way, I know people are probably counting. Why aren't I listing other games? Florida and Georgia, outside of those games that I mentioned, have non-conference foes. Georgia needs a no, even if they went out. They yeah, need. exactly. Um, but Tennessee has a hosts. They host Kentucky. Kentucky's good, improved, but it's still in Neyland. And they host Missouri. Again, Missouri has a little squirreliness to them. They've had a few moments where they, they look like their rebuild is on track, but the game is in Neyland. And then they go to Vanderbilt, and we all love Vandy's defense, but – Andy feels like if you score 17 points, you're going to win the game. Yeah. Tennessee, here's how Tennessee's season is going to finish out. I think they get upset this week. They're going to pummel Missouri, and they're going to, they're going to play a, a tight one with Vandy, which I'm, I'm not going to decide who I want to win yet because I want to see how Vandy plays this weekend um, against uh, Missouri and just kind of make my judgment call then just to kind of see how they're playing at the moment. But – um, they're going to play a tight one with Vandy, with, with giving a Vandy a good shot to win. That's how they're going to finish. I mean, Tennessee has to win out, but they have with two home games and none of those teams being complete teams. They, they you know, they all have flaws. They, they've shown some potential, especially Vandy and Kentucky, but they are with – they're clearly flawed teams. So, Tennessee, all they need to do is win out, and I don't see Florida or Georgia – being able to to win the East, no. I really don't. No, definitely not George. Georgia's Georgia just squandered that with that four game losing streak, um, and uh, you know Florida, Florida's just too beat up right now. And South Carolina has a chance to upset them, and South Carolina has a chance to kind of exceed expectations under Will Muschamp. But you know, I think Auburn's going to run all over Georgia uh, this week. I think that um, they've just. They're just too much for them. Um, you know, Georgia, I don't think, has the horses to handle it. I'd love for it to. It's a home game uh, for Georgia. Auburn hasn't played well in Sanford Stadium in quite some time. So uh, that'll be kind of an extra little motivational tool for them. But it'll also be a scary uh, upset alert. Um, I guess if I'm putting a team on upset alert, um, you know, obviously I'm going to put Tennessee on upset alert because I just called it. Um, but I'm also put Auburn on upset alert as well. Uh, not saying that they're going to lose, just saying that they should probably just be alert that they don't, they haven't always played well in Sanford Stadium, and, and it's, a, it's a tough place to play. 
Um, so really, I think really every team in the conference this week except uh, Alabama's on upset alert, really. I think Texas A&M's on upset alert because Ole Miss is a wild card and you never know what you're going to get out of them. Uh, LSU is now on upset alert because Arkansas, well, they've, they've shown signs of life. So uh, Yeah, that, Ar- that Arkansas team is so Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough – you know, the NCC has been about as tough to predict as it's ever been. I mean, usually by this time you know uh, what each team is going to do and you could pretty much call to the, you know, plus or minus a point um, of the total score and, and be spot on. But this year it's been a it's been a mixed bag. I mean, Florida's been all over the place. South Carolina started off really slow and they've kind of turned it on. They made a change at quarterback and they've – They've rapidly improved. Kentucky uh, started off the team thinking that they were that they couldn't they couldn't even beat Trinity High School um, in Louisville. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, it's just you know it's an odd situation. But this conference has been really really tough to predict. You know, who would have saw Tennessee falling apart uh, like a house of cards? But I guess when you know, I guess when your coach turns out to be uh, a phony, uh, that, uh, that stuff kind of tends to happen. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely been a confusing season to say the least in the SEC. Um, so yeah, I mean, all these teams that you mentioned coach could be on upset alert. I think that, uh, I think that the Auburn Georgia game might be the actual best game though this weekend. Um, the LSU Arkansas has potential to be interesting, but also has potential um, to be a, a blowout if Arkansas turns over the ball like they've been prone to sometimes in previous weeks. So, um, but we are running over time, so we need to get to our uh, final our final segment, the spread formations. Because my computer uh, my computer died on Monday, so I do not have our past performances. So we're starting fresh this week at zero in zero for all of us. Um, we're going to start. Um, with uh, Army versus Notre Dame in San Antonio. Um, and Notre Dame is 13 and a half point favorite somehow, even though they are a terrible, uh, I, I don't even remember what their record is off the top of my head. It's a two and seven. They're bad. Um, so, uh, Josh, who have you got here in uh, this game between five and four Army and three and six Notre Dame? Well, the Irish just struggled with a triple option team. Uh, They have zero defense. They are 67th in points against defensively, but they are aided by a game played in a hurricane, which they only gave up 10 points. They're also aided by a game against Stanford, who was still offensively challenged at the time and only gave up 17 and they're aided by playing a pretty weak Nevada team and holding them to 10 points. Against competent teams, their defense has really struggled. Army is a competent team. Army is one win away from making a bowl game. Army beat the Wake Forest team that we just got done praising in Salem. They also beat that really good Temple team who's probably going to win their division in the American in Philadelphia Army covers because Army wins straight up. Oh, I like it. How about you? How you feel, Coach? Well, 
Josh took the wind out of my sails there. Um, I like Army to cover, um, but I like Notre Dame to win. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take. Uh, it's playing being played at the Alamo Dome. We have to remember the Alamo, and so I am taking Army like you, Josh, to cover and to win outright. Um, our next game is in the aforementioned Mountain West, where the Fighting Bobos of Colorado State head uh, to Colorado Springs to take on Air Force. Uh, Air Force, five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Josh, who are you going with? Well, these two teams are like the exact opposite. Air Force has the better overall record but can't win a conference game. The Fighting Bobos have the worse overall record but has the better conference record. So it's very, very confusing. Uh, I think Colorado State's actually played a little bit tougher schedule. They played the Buffs. They played Minnesota. They played that really good Wyoming team. They played the really good Boise State team. Air Force, though, I'm looking at their schedule, and outside of playing Wyoming, they really haven't done anything super impressive. Other they than beat Navy. I know, other than the rivalry Navy game, but that was such a huge rivalry. And, like, you know, they play such a similar style. It's easy to get up for – the their big rivals, Army and Navy. I'm gonna go with the Bobos. I think they win, and that means that I have them covering. All right, Coach. Uh, Nate Romine comes back for uh, the Falcons. The Falcons are also ranked 19th in total defense in the country, allowing 334.9 yards per game. Also, hashtag year the third phase. McAvey is number 15th in the nation in yards per kick return with 24.14 per return. So give me the Falcons. Um, no offense to uh, the Bobos, but I think the Falcons, uh, they welcome Nate Romine back in, uh, in good fashion. They win by a touchdown. Yeah, you guys know I have irrationally strong feelings towards Colorado State, and I will always pick them. So obviously I'm going with the Rams. Um, uh, again, we, uh, we mentioned earlier, Stanford at Oregon, Stanford, three and a half point favorites on the road. Josh, you picked Stanford to win this game. They're going to win it by four or more. Easily, easily. Oregon has the 125th ranked defense. They're just getting gashed left and right offensively, but they don't, they don't have a very good physical defense also. Like I can understand if they were giving up yards over the top, but they're, they're soft up the middle. USC, good running team, pounded them. Colorado, good running team, 41 points. Washington, we know how good their running attack is, 70 points. That does not bode well. Stanford is getting more and more physical. Stanford's getting back to their DNA. I think McCaffrey has his best game of the year as Stanford routes the dust. Coach? Wow. Uh, Can I just say what Josh said? And, and leave that as my answer? You can. You can. I like the Cardinal. I really want to take Oregon here, uh, and I, I can't explain why, but I, I, I still think that there's some magic left in Autzen. But I, and, you know, they, they've got their true freshman quarterback uh, playing now in Oregon, but I still think that he's still learning the ropes. You know, he's been making some better progress in the last couple of weeks. But still, there's just – I think Stanford is too strong. 
on the offensive and defensive lines, and I will also take the Cardinal to make it a clean sweep um, in Eugene. Uh, heading back to the SEC, uh, Vandy and that defense featuring Zach Cunningham, who right now has my vote for National Defensive Player of the Year. Um, they head to Columbia to take on Mizzou, uh, who are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home, despite having a, a worse a two games worse of a record. So, Josh, uh, Mizzou at home or the doors on the road? Well, I'm going with the underdogs again. I said that in order to beat Vanderbilt, it seemed like you needed to score 17 points. I'm not sure Missouri could score 17 points. They only average 31 points per game right now. That's 51st in the country. But you need to look at the inflation of stats, 61 versus Eastern Michigan and 79 versus Delaware State against competent teams. They can barely score. They were held to 11 by West Virginia, 7 by LSU, 14 by Florida. Vanderbilt has no offense, but their defense is as good as those three teams if not better, I think Missouri struggles to score even 10 points. Give me the doors winning, which means that since Missouri's favored, that I've got Bandy covering. Coach? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you have Vandy, you have a Vandy defense who is plus six in turnover margin. Um, that bodes well for you. That can, that can put your offense, which doesn't put up a lot of big numbers, but I think a lot of it is because they – play the field position game really well too. Um, you know, and when you have a plus six turnover margin, your defense typically puts your offense in, in favorable situations, which means your offense is rarely called upon to drive up and down the field. Uh, Zach Cunningham has been an absolute beast um, in the middle of that defense. He has 13 and a half tackles for loss, 94 tackles all, all together. Um, I mean, it's, you know, they're going to have a hard time containing him, Ralph Webb. Uh, Cal Shermer has turned it on lately. Uh, you know, Missouri, again, has allowed 31 or more points in every game during this five-game losing streak. Um, they, uh, the Commodores have scored on their opening possession in three straight games. They're three and two in doing so. Um, Darius Sims from Vanderbilt needs just 17 yards to break Mark Johnson's school record for career kickoff return yards. Um, so all of those random stats – is for me to tell you that I think Vanderbilt is going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it by two scores, uh, which means 10 points. I think they're going to win 24 to 14. Uh, Drew Locke is very turnover prone uh, for the Tigers. Uh, the Tigers altogether are pretty uh, turnover prone. And, you know, Josh Heupel, uh, for as much love as we gave him at the beginning of the year and how, how, how much he's turned over a new leaf, um, you know, he's done a, he's done a decent job. Uh, the defense hasn't helped him out too much. But, you know, it's just something's off in Missouri. Uh, I think they're going to lose this week, get pummeled next week, and I think they're going to win this in the conference. So, give me, give me the doors. All right. Yeah, I'm definitely taking the doors here. Uh, I see them winning something like 10 to 3 um, in, a, in a real ugly one. Um, but we had to save the worst for last, or we, we might consider it the best for last. It's time for our favorite game, the this Guess the Ridiculous game. Kansas line. This might be the most ridiculous of all of them. One and eight, 0 and six in conference, Iowa State. On the road at Kansas, 
Iowa State is favored by 10, despite being winless in conference and 1-8 overall. This, the, the fact that Iowa State is, uh, is giving 10 points to anyone in the country is obscene, much, much less in a conference game. So, uh, Josh, do you think that Iowa State is gonna, can win this by more than 10? Well, here's the weird thing going on for the good people of Ames. They lose to Northern Iowa to start the year. Then they get blown out by Iowa, and then they lose by three touchdowns at TCU. And a lot of people were questioning their coach, thinking, oh, wow, he's in over his head. We've got another Hazel situation at Purdue where they pick up a Mac coach and he just can't do it. And something interesting happened. They absolutely obliterated San Jose State. I think they got some swagger going. They, they started to feel good about themselves. They got the first win out of their way. And then they gave Baylor everything they could, losing by a field goal. Kansas lost 49-7 to Baylor. Then they played Oklahoma State down in Stillwater, only lost by a touchdown. Kansas against Okie State lost by 24. Uh, then Iowa State had uh, a loss to Texas and a loss to Kansas State. Jayhawks haven't played them yet. But then last week, that 10-point game against Oklahoma, Iowa State played very, very well in. Kansas lost to the Sooners 56-3. So against all the common opponents outside of TCU, Iowa State has looked way better than the Jayhawks did. I know the track is going to confuse Iowa State a little bit, but the Cyclones have been playing much, much better. Their rebuild looks like it's much more on track. And Iowa State has been getting some nice quarterback play lately, um, mixing in Joel Lanning and his backup. And Mike Warren, he's better than anything Kansas has. I'll take the the best player of the field. Cyclones win by – 21 because this is the last bye week for Kansas to get ready for Texas. Coach? Wow, that's the best analysis I've ever heard for such a pitiful game. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is <laughs> that's more. I, I think Iowa State fans are going to start to love you because that's the most analysis they've gotten all year. So, uh, besides our besides our uh, our uh, mandatory preview we did of their team, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can top that, so I'm just going to make my pick, and I'm going to go with the Cyclones here. Um, I'm going to go with them. This is going to be – I'm, I'm trying to paint a good picture for you here. This is going to be kind of like uh, – I don't even know how to – I don't even know how to paint this picture. So, it's just going to be a uh, – it's just going to be the worst pillow fight of all time. Um, I think that Kansas is going to run out of feathers, and uh, I think it's going to my 17. <laughs> well, so he, he, here, here's my thoughts. So the track at, at the stadium in Kansas. Now, tracks are, are an oval, and you, they, you, know, you kind of run around them in a circular direction. Cyclones move in circular directions as well. I don't think it's going to confuse them. I'm going with Iowa State by 17. By the way, um, for those of you who uh, want to go uh, – you know, behind the curtain, behind the scenes, uh, backstage, or whatever you want to call it. Um, my classroom got really dark because I have light sensors in here, and when you don't move for a while, uh, they turn off. 
and I have a platform stage in here. And when I walked back into the main classroom from my sound booth, um, it was really dark and I was carrying my laptop and I tripped and fell onto the stage or onto the platform. And that was more graceful and more, uh, that was more coordinated and, and better looking than this Kansas Iowa state game is going to be. <laughs> well, uh, I think on that note, we need to wrap it up for today. We've been going for almost two hours. So, um, that is going to do it for us here on this extended week 11 preview. Um, so on behalf of our uh, number one teacher, the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. You're going down in a week, Texas. Count on it. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.